We all do better when we work together. And uh, I've found the Osmai community in particular to be a group of people that are open-minded and excited to share and respectful of each other. And it's been a very positive environment to share information, to share ideas, and to kind of, kind of see how it all susses out in the end. Welcome to the Psychiatry Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Carly McMillan, and in each episode, we interview thought leaders in the deep end of psychiatry's next frontier. Dive into the latest research, innovative treatments, technology, and policy developments shaping the future of psychiatry. Join us on this journey to discover what's next in mental health care so you can stay ahead of the curve. Hello, and welcome once again to the Psychiatry Tomorrow podcast. Here we are with part three of our special coverage of Osmine's Breakthrough Mental Health Treatment Forum. Last week, we explored what makes a successful private practice. Today, our focus turns to the critical role of community within this realm. As a practitioner, it can often feel lonely, especially when juggling myriad responsibilities. But fear not, because we discuss how to navigate this journey with the support of communities, be it through professional organizations, online networks, or conferences. We'll also shed light on the dangers of remaining isolated in practice. That's right. From maximizing creative collaboration to ensuring you're updated with the latest practices, community involvement can be a game changer. So let's get started. So we're here at the Breakthrough Mental Health Treatment Forum with a panel of members from the Osmine Community Advisory Board to discuss the importance of community in private practice. We're joined today by Awaif Aftab, Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at Case Western Reserve University, Charles Miller, CRNA, Founder and CMO at Scenic City Neurotherapy, Andrew Penn, Clinical Professor at UC San Francisco School of Nursing, and Dr. Michael Banoff, Medical Director at Psych Atlanta. All right. So kicking off the discussion, question for as mental health clinicians, how has being part of a supportive community impacted your professional growth and well-being? And what are some ways you actively seek and cultivate such communities? So Andrew, I'll start with you for that one. Thanks, Carlene. Happy to be here today. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to be part of a, a conference called Psych Congress for about 14 years. I got recruited to be on the steering committee uh, back in 2010. And it's been, uh, be careful what you say yes to, right? Yeah, because it's, it can lead you to some interesting things. And and that's been definitely a, a delight to be part of that community because it's a conference that draws about 2,500 people a year. And then we have some smaller specialty conferences and psychedelics and early career and things like that. And so it's, um, that is a place that sort of forces me to keep current, uh, both as a learner and as a educator, uh, and also puts me in contact with a lot of people in practice. Cause I've, I've actually never been in private practice. I've, I've always worked for large organizations like Kaiser or the VA. And, you know, there are, there are definitely pros and cons to that, which we can, which we can discuss uh, later. And how about you for Dr. Banov? How has community played a role for you? Well, I, I think it's critical because unfortunately, the way that mental health treatment and research is so fragmented and the kind of treatments that p- uh, clinicians provide is so diversified, it's it's almost like, a, you know, a, it's kind of like with current events, you know, if you're sort of more left-leaning, you only read kind of the left-leaning, you know, news sources. If you're more right-leaning, you, you always lean toward the right-leaning. And so with mental health, you have to be really careful about where you get your, you know, the kind of communities, you don't want a community that's too narrow and focused because 
then you don't really expose yourself to everything out there. So, you know, my history has been one, I, I go to very conventional kind of conferences, I'd call site Congress, maybe a little, you know, I wouldn't say on the super conventional, but fairly conventional side, a lot of it's supported through pharmaceutical companies and stuff. And there is that kind of a bit of that bias there. And then I, I go to integrative medicine conferences, which can be way in the other direction. And then you go to some conferences where there's very little and what you have to do is you, you have to, you know, during the lunch times and during the dinner times, you kind of meet with your colleagues and you have these kind of conversations. I actually do a lot of speaking for pharmaceutical companies. And actually, the best learning is during the lunches and the dinners and the breaks where you just kind of go off with your colleagues and you go, oh, what's been your experience with this and that and um you know but I, I think it's really important to try to expose yourself to kind of a wide variety because i find a lot of my colleagues i talk about things like ketamine and spravato i mean i'm talking about spravato fda approved they think i'm just completely out there in terms of what i'm doing you know and then you have these other colleagues who you know and I say ketamine and spravato, they go, what? You're not doing psilocybin in the in, you know, in the in the garage with your patients? What's wrong with you? You're so behind the times. <laughs> so it's trying to kind of integrate all that um and, and find that balance uh is important. But um yeah, so I don't think you're ever gonna find that perfect community that's just gonna fit into so I just say expose yourself to everything, find out what resonates with you, um, be open minded. <laughs> um, and uh, but, you know, there is, you know, you, the previous session was about private practice. There's a tendency to get very isolated in private practice. Um, and, you know, like it says in the Bible, man should not be alone. You know, nobody should be alone. <laughs> you need community. You need colleagues. You need friends. You, you know, you really it's very important because otherwise you get very locked in your thinking. Thinking. And this that's what makes psychiatry exciting for me, because it's such a progressive field that we're discovering. And it's, it's not an algorithm based field. So and I know I'm kind of rambling on and on, but um, but that's that's kind of how I've sort of developed my philosophy and how I've tried to learn and grow, um, you know, through those different avenues. Mm, wonderful. And uh, Dr. McGinnis, how about for you? How has community played a role? Well, the Osmine community uh, in which I play a role because I um look up, uh, monitor the research to drop into the research hub for all of you guys and trying to get articles that are exciting for everybody in the community. And staying in touch with the research is crucial for me to feel, continue to feel excited, part of the conversation. So, you know, I have a lot of streams of information coming in and, um, you know, constantly sorting through different articles from Semantic Scholar and other areas, but you can get too much. So I do kind of narrow the focus somewhat to mood and anxiety disorders. And then I just, I think it's really important to go to conferences and connect with people and, and you know, talk about things outside of what you see in peer review trends, things that are going on, general trends in academia and so forth. So mm. what's your, what's your favorite conference? Okay. It's all about location. <laughs> the Oxford um, International Academy Conference, because uh, Dr. Martone and I have, have hung out there. It's a wonderful international community, but it's in, in at Oxford. It's really astounding to stand where Oxford, Oscar Wilde stood um, and hoisting a pint with their head at an angle because everybody mm. was so short then. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The clinical TMS society is going to be in London next year. And I heard we're going to this like Faraday museum and everything. So oh, fabulous. the international conference is <laughs> a good excuse to Great. go across the pond, but awesome. Excellent. All right. Well, speaking of the practice community, 
Um, our next question is actually uh, about that. Um, so about a year ago, uh, Osmine launched a virtual community of private practice clinicians. Um, so this question is for Dr. Oftab and Charles. What do you believe is the greatest value that this community brings to mental health clinicians like yourself or ones just starting a practice? I know you both tend to contribute there quite a bit. So maybe Charles, I'll start, I'll start with you. Okay. I like... Um... Like Allison, I follow literature as it comes out. I have a every every couple times a day, JAMA articles pop up on my phone, and I, I scroll through, see if anything catches my eye. I'm always watching to see what's new coming down the pipe. Science is gr- changing and growing rapidly, and uh, and I like to find things to share. And I like the stuff that Allison shares. I love to comment on it, and then we go back and forth on it, and it's just. It creates wonderful dialogue, which is how we grow. I think that's something that we've all kind of touched on a little bit. It's like it's not just dialogue on our Osmond community. It's dialogue at conferences with our colleagues and other people who share this weird space that we occupy. Um, The excitement we all share, the passion we all share. um, We all have the same goal. And sometimes we, we come at it from different angles. Uh, it can even become contentious at times, but at the same time, it's it's uh, it's important that we have that shared space. What I use the Osmine community for is I scroll through. There's certain times someone will pop up a question that's simple. It's a problem since I've had a practice going on five years here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We've, you know, it's you know I've run across this problem. We found a solution. We've moved on, and I can share that with somebody who's just starting off <laughs> running into the same issue that we ran into years ago. Um, Other times, uh, you know, we can help provide resources or I could even learn from somebody who's found a better way. It's it's, we all do better when we work together. And uh, I've found the Osmine community in particular to be a group of people that are open minded and excited to share and respectful of each other. And it's just it's been it's been a very positive environment to share information, to share ideas and to kind of kind of see how it all susses out in the end. Absolutely. Dr. Octam, how about, how about you? Hi, good day, everyone. So I, I think we, we heard quite a bit about the, the importance of developing a community of, you know, of, of kind of colleagues who can provide different kinds of perspectives. And the Osmine community just kind of exemplifies that very well. I, I think in psychiatry, there are a lot of different sorts of clinical challenges. In particular, this is both a science and an art. And um, available evidence is often limited. We we have to think about how sort of like you know extrapolate from the limited data that we have. How does this apply to the person in front of me in the clinic? How do we interpret the research sort of like you know uh, evidence? What what does that what does that mean? Um, and when we look at the the nitty gritty of uh, of sort of like you know of clinical practice. Uh, so many questions come up, sort of like, you know, questions might be related to how do I bill for this or how do I make a certain kind of thing, you know, financially viable or how do I sort of like, you know, what sort of protocol do I, do I use for this or that particular intervention? Um, and, and the Osmond community in particular has a higher concentration of folks who are interested in interventional uh, sort of like, you know, modalities, um, ketamine, TMS, et cetera. And, and so they possess a skill set that a lot of people in, in the general psychiatric community tend to tend to lack. So uh, I, I feel from my perspective that the, the Ostmind uh, sort of like community is a big resource for people who are interested in private practice, who have questions about sort of like the logistics of it, 
who have questions about how to uh, apply existing research evidence to their own clinical practice and how to translate uh, available information and scientific information about protocols into sort of like, you know, things they can do um, in, in, in the real world. Um, and so, I, and I think this is just starting, I think sort of like, I think uh, there's so much potential here and uh, it will be really exciting to see it grow. Hmm. All right. Awesome. Thank you. And for our last question, a couple of you guys already kind of touched upon this, but we can go into a little bit more depth. How do you stay on top of the latest research, evidence-based practices, and emerging treatment modalities within the mental health field through your involvement in professional communities and networks? So Dr. Vanneval, I can start with you on that one. Well, first of all, yeah, we were talking earlier about meetings. You know, meetings is a great place because I think you get to not only hear the research, but you get to see the researchers themselves and hear about it. Our particular practice, we do clinical research trials. So we have the advantage of being able to go to research meetings and kind of really hear what the rationale is behind these studies and maybe some of the um, rationale behind future studies and future directions that these things are going. But I think going to these conferences and actually that's the beauty of this community is it's so tight and small that when you go to lectures and you hear people talk you can really kind of pull them aside and um, you know one of the, the challenges in clinical research unfortunately is you always have to know what is the goal of this research a lot of this research is geared towards getting like FDA approval for certain drugs and then what they'll do is they really cherry pick the kind of patients and all that and then a lot of that research is not really applicable to to your general practice because it's such a narrow group that they're studying these in so that's why like communities like this where hopefully we can do more real world research where it's not the subjects aren't as cherry picked more real world polypharmacy and things like that because most of the trials we are in you know they exclude anybody who's on any other kind of psychotropic meds and how many times do you see patients only with depression you know it's always depression and ADD and trauma and GAD and OCD and all these things and they're always on these other and then they have a bunch of you know concomitant uh, medical issues as well so um, you know that's so so the, the real challenge is synthesizing studies and making them more applicable to your to the real world and your and your generalized patients and also communities like this where you know when i go to these meetings like the ketamine professionals association or the now it's the um you know ketamine psychotherapist uh psycho you know whatever it's got the kp3 whatever it is um <laughs> you know, things like that yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, where you can actually sit and talk to people, and 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 that those those a lot of the studies presented there aren't super, you know, like narrow and more generalized or a lot of case reports, but that's very valuable information for us to utilize in our practice and to synthesize. Enjoying the Psychiatry Tomorrow podcast and hungry for even more insights into the future of mental health care? Then you won't want to miss out on the Psychiatry Tomorrow newsletter from Ozmind. Join hundreds of forward-thinking psychiatrists and mental health professionals staying ahead of the curve with the latest research, technology, and practice strategies delivered straight to your inbox. It's free, it's easy, and it's the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of mental health care. Just head to osmind.org slash tomorrow, and we'll see you inside. How about for you, Andrew? How do you stay on top of this stuff? Yeah, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to my colleagues, it's really underscoring for me the value of our peer community, both as a learning resource, but also as a, as a kind of a, a a bulwark for for to keep us from drifting too far 
out into left field because I mostly worked uh, in my career in large systems. And I, I've noticed that a lot of people have left large systems for reasons which I completely understand, you know, the restrictions that are put on one's practice and formulary guidelines and things such as that. And then there's a different kind of problem that seems to emerge sometimes in private practice, which is that you create your own little ecosystem of people that is reflected back by people who tend to stay with you. And so I, I've seen people get into very sort of esoteric, not evidence-based practice um, without that kind of check of their colleagues to say, you know, what you're doing is really irregular um, and, and doesn't really make, doesn't really have a lot of evidence to back it up. Um, so, so I think there's, you know, there's a lot of value in that peer community. And as it, as, as it pertains to maintaining uh, current practice, you know, Oddly, one of the best ways that I've found to stay current is actually to teach. Uh, and, and I've shared this with students that I think there's this notion that people uh, who teach are must inherently become be experts first. And I think the reality is that any of us who've ever taught anything know that there's a certain point where um, you have a, 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 a any good teacher has a degree of imposter syndrome. Because if you if you don't, then maybe you're starting to believe everything you think, and maybe you become overconfident. And so the the value in in teaching is that it really forces me to uh, maintain uh, a, a current grasp of the literature. Uh, because if I'm going to stand up in front of people and, and teach something, I, I need to feel like I have at least some degree of mastery. But you know, as we all know, the more you learn about something, the more you realize you don't know. Uh, and that's okay. You know, I, I, I think education should, um, the goal of education should be to keep us a little bit hungry, not always to fully sati- satiate us. Um, and so I'm okay with uh, realizing that there are things that I don't know. And then that forces me to go, to go and learn them. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Oftab, how about you? Um, for me, um, I, I've kind of relied on a number of different strategies. Um, over the past four to five years, I, I've increasingly relied on social media as my kind of first uh, kind of go-to resource for, for new research information. So for example, on Twitter, I, I follow a lot of um, kind of researchers in psychiatry and psychology and behavioral neuroscience. And um, and one of the, one of the things that it does is that it kind of presents me with a with a filtered, somewhat triaged kind of um, sort of like selection of, of research to focus on. Because if I just look at the literature, there's just like too much information. Versus on on Twitter, I'm I'm following the people I'm sort of like familiar with their work. I respect their opinion and sort of like seeing what research they are publishing or what research they are finding kind of noteworthy. Um, I, I find it sort of like quite interesting and kind of instru- instructive and I've learned a lot. And it also forces me to kind of break out, break out of my echo chamber and kind of hear many different sorts of perspectives. Because I, I try to also follow uh, skeptical voices and people sort of like who think differently about a topic. And they, they would often share research that I would not encounter encounter otherwise. And I also get to see very vibrant, exciting academic discussions taking place when, when people sort of like, you know, share such research on Twitter or discuss it. Uh, I also um, kind of rely pretty heavily on, on, on the blogosphere. So I, my, I have a Substack newsletter myself where I often discuss uh, different kind of developments or other sorts of scientific controversies. So that has been a useful resource. Um, I'm associated with various sorts of um, kind of psychiatric uh, publications as well. So I'm on the editorial board of Psychiatric Times as well as Current Psychiatry. 
And both of them, I, I find sort of like very great for clinician updates and, and promoting and, and, and discussing recent research. And, and sort of like, you know, to echo a point that was just made about teaching, um, I, I teach psychiatry residents and, and one, of the, one of the things I teach them about is controversies in psychopharmacology. And, and that forces me to kind of stay up to date myself on what is the current literature, what are the debates about. And so, so that's, a great, that's proven to be a great strategy for me. Awesome. Well, thank you. And yes, everyone should uh, subscribe to Dr. Ofsted's Substack Psychiatry on the Margins. It's a wonderful read. Absolutely recommend. And then I'll also put in a plug for LinkedIn. I find lately LinkedIn, there's a lot more kind of sharing of academic papers on there um, and far fewer trolls than um, I guess we're calling it X these days, otherwise known as Twitter. <laughs> but I use those two sources for sure. So, all right. Well, thank you guys. And I think we're going to be on to our final roundtable. Table, uh, with all the participants today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Oh, that was amazing answers. I'm going to go ahead and promote um, everyone to the stage here. Dr. Duan, Dr. Regina, Dr. Feifel, Dr. Buddy, come on stage here for our final uh, question moderated by uh, Dr. Allison McInnes and yeah, I'm so thankful for today's panels. That was so wonderful. It was amazing to hear each of your answers and um, really looking forward to to listening through all of this again. Thank you all for joining and um, grand finale. Take it away, Allison. Okay, so this is going to be kind of a speed dating uh, exercise here. Um, so we're going to wrap up this Breakthrough Mental Health Treatment Forum. We have one final question for all our esteemed advisors to answer in 30 seconds or less. And we'll start with Dr. Virginia, uh, and then you can popcorn. How about that? Um, so the question is, what advice would you give to someone who wants to be on the cutting edge of care in psychiatry? Dr. Banov. Uh, go to as many conferences as you, as you can, socialize and interact with people. It's, you know, this is a word of mouth field, in my opinion. And that's where I learned the most. Like I say, it's at the breakfasts, it's the lunch, it's the dinners, it's the breaks. And uh, just, you know, and, and I think somebody else had mentioned earlier about the field is so broad. You do have to kind of narrow your focus a little bit, find those areas that really you gravitate to and just find the people who are doing the cutting edge and synthesize the data and find out what's legitimate and what resonates with you and with your patients and, and then, and then do it. You got to actually get out there and do it and try it on patients and see what happens. And it's an art, which is what makes it exciting, frustrated, frustrating, at times, but exciting. Fantastic. Okay, great. I was going to say maybe the pub too. That's a good place to pub, share pub ideas. Good, sure. uh, so, okay, so we'll go to Andrew Penn, Dr. Penn. What would Oscar Wilde do, right? That, that's the question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm going to maybe try and be a little controversial here, but I, I would say be open to being wrong. Um, you know, psychiatry, if, if, if any grasp of the history of psychiatry is littered with ideas that didn't pan out. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's how we find ideas that actually work. But I think one of the dangers is that we get too attached to something. And then when it doesn't pan out, we we don't relinquish our grasp on that. And so, um, you know, be excited about new things, but also be willing to let them go if they don't actually pan out. Love that. Okay. Um, I'm really good at that, uh, being wrong. And <laughs> oh, Dr. Aftab? 
Um, I, I, I'd say something similar. I say in order to understand the future, we have to understand our past. And we, we have gone through cycles of hype and disappointment many different times. And I think we have to understand our history and understand what went, what went wrong and use those insights to be at the cutting edge. Wonderful. Okay, and Charles Miller? Uh, I think a lot of them have touched on what I was thinking too, is that is is be okay with being wrong. Be always vigilant. Uh, keep a little bit of imposter syndrome because that keeps you always seeking information. Uh, never be comfortable, too comfortable in your stance on anything. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, you know, it's, I, I loved how Andrew put it as teaching. Teaching keeps you honest, especially teaching at a graduate level. I'm an associate professor uh, for the uh, nurse anesthesiology groups at uh, University of Tennessee here in Chattanooga, and I teach specifically this. We teach the value of psychoplastogenic medications, medications that stimulate neurotogenesis in the brain. Um, and this is something that can affect not just psychiatry as a practice, but it's something that can affect, you know, how we do things in anesthesiology, how we do things in neuroscience in general. You know, not just treating mood disorders, or but treating dementia, Alzheimer's, stroke recovery, traumatic brain injuries. This is a huge field, and what we're able to do here is it's it's an, on another level. Our focus is primarily pain control, using it for neuropathic pain conditions. But it's we if we all continue to kind of pull this knowledge, we all can grow a little bit. I can learn from you, and you can learn from what we've been doing, and it's and uh, it we are all better for it. Wonderful. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Buddy. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it becomes sort of a broader question that I wish what I had told myself five years ago is do what you're interested in, because there's so much need in psychiatry that sometimes things feel totally overwhelming and hopeless. But the other side of that coin is that there's so much need that almost anything you do will be helpful and help somebody. So I guess you can just knock off Joseph Campbell and say that follow your bliss doors will open for you. That would not have opened for anyone else. Okay. I love it. Great. Okay. Dr. Martone, how are you? Oh, it's getting hard here at the end. Uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I agree with everything everyone said. I think if you're looking at a particular area like brain stimulation or psychedelic ketamine, you know, really first step is just yeah, get into the conference game, learn from the experts develop a community of folks that you trust that are are thinking about it kind of the way you're starting to think about it and uh and and just stay humble keep keep reading keep asking questions keep an open mind thank you so much and uh dr sheftik i i would say you know, some of the most interesting uh things that i learned have started from a patient question um and so you know pay very close attention to what's important to them uh when they when they come and have that spark your curiosity and, and also pay close attention to the popular press um, because that those are where a lot of questions come in. And it also kind of gives you a finger on the pulse of what everybody's talking about, what everybody's worried about, um, and things outside of medicine and influence outside of medicine that have an impact on us too. Fantastic. Thank you. And Dr. Feifel. Wow. I think I... Uh deserve a brand new refresh question it's hard hard to go at this point but i would say that i would say maybe attitude is is where it all starts is you know are you interested 
in in being progressive with your treatments or are, are you of the kind of is your nature very conservative and not comfortable with with adopting things i think if you're if if you're interested in being progressive and i think it's really a disadvantage not to be at this point in psychiatry because i think you're really going to be <laughs> i think in a few years you may be left in the dust if you're if your attitude is well you know i'm gonna i'm gonna learn to med manage and that's been sort of the tradition and all this other stuff, you know, it's, it's a little bit too new for me. I think that's going to be, I think you're find yourself in a problematic situation, but assuming you're, you're somebody is interested in, in learning these new uh, treatments, I think things have been mentioned, you know, conferences and there's tons of webinars and so forth to learn sort of the, the, the basic science and the principles behind it. But in terms of practicality, I, I, I think I'm a big believer in finding a mentor or working with somebody uh, uh, where you don't have to kind of take on the responsibilities of, you know, running the place and the business end, let's say in a private practice, and you can learn uh, and have the time to kind of develop your own expertise before deciding, uh, you know, which which way you in particular want to go in terms of um, cr- uh, kind of shaping a practice with um, which kinds of treatments. I love that you mentioned mentorship because I think that's incredibly important. And I know like the mentors that I've had are still there for me 30 years later. So, and, and opening doors and making things happen. Okay. Dr. Dwan, do you have anything left to give us? (laughs) I think everyone's pretty much covered it, but I'm just reminded of an old mentor who gave me uh, this piece of advice. She said that she might not be rich, but she is rich because she invests in people. So I think that if I've taken away anything away from this community, it's just that uh, the more you invest in people, the more you can accomplish together. Okay, fantastic. And then I guess a, a, a final contribution from Dr. McMillan. All right. Yes. Yeah, so speaking of investing in people, um, I think if you want to be kind of staying uh, what's what's up to date in psychiatry, sort of a, a shameless self-promotion for the Psychiatry Tomorrow podcast that OzMind is hosting. I know I've had um, the great fortune to have many of you here in this room on the podcast with many more to come. And I really do feel like having these conversations with um, people who are really curious and passionate about the field can really broaden our perspectives. That and of course the Osmine practice community, I think it really takes a village to solve the problems that lay ahead. So yeah, a little self-promotional for Osmine, but I uh, truly believe that they are enhancing the way that we're looking at the field. That's it for today's episode of the Psychiatry Tomorrow podcast. We hope you found our discussion informative and inspiring. If you enjoyed the show, why not share it with one mental health clinician in your network? Your support means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It only takes a moment and your feedback helps us to improve the show and reach even more listeners who are passionate about mental health. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the future.